Then Jesus went with his disciple to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is troubled with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked. He asked Peter, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went his way a second time and prayed, My father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away, unless, uh, my father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he found them sleeping, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. May the Lord bless his word. Thank you, George. Rise what my alarm clock said to me this morning at some unearthly hour. Right. That's why it's called an alarm clock after all, isn't it? It's meant to alarm you. So uh, thank you, George, for uh, reading uh, this morning and bringing that to life for us today. If you've got your Bibles open, please keep them open. Um, We're going to explore this passage this morning. So let me ask you a question to start with. How do you handle life when things are going in in the wrong direction for you? When things are going in a direction that you thought they never would, you didn't want them to, and you never in a million years expected them to, how do you handle those times? Well, this morning I think I want to explore how Jesus shows us how to handle those particular times in our lives. The scene is the garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means the olive orchard. And right in that orchard would be the olive trees and there would be an olive press in that orchard as well. And obviously an olive press is there to to crush the olives and release the goodness of the oil. There couldn't have been a more appropriate place, could there, for Jesus to spend these moments, a place where olives are crushed, where the beautiful oil is released. Because here we find Jesus in this garden, the text says to us, overwhelmed, crushed, engulfed in sorrow on every side, an all-encompassing sadness at this particular stage of his journey. The text says, to the point of death. That's pretty crushing, do you think? To have a sorrow and a sadness to the point of death itself. Driven to the ground, face in the dust, 
almost going back to the place where we all come from, the place of dust, and the place where we're all going to go to in the end. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. This feeling of utter helplessness and loneliness that we can only begin to imagine through the words left for us in this text this morning. The loneliness of having your best friends falling asleep right in front of you at the moment when you needed them the most. Utter helplessness. But maybe today some of us here this morning have had a glimpse of that in our own lives. We felt a little bit of what that feels like to be crushed, to feel lonely, to feel in complete despair, to be overwhelmed with sorrow because of something that we've, we've gone through. There may be some of you here today right now who are going through it right now and carrying those feelings inside you today. Feelings that nobody else knows about, that you've not shared with anybody and yet this heavy weight is almost crushing you today. For Jesus, the vision of the cross just ahead of him, knowing that his death would soon be here, his life set to be released so that all people might be healed and forgiven and saved. So what would you do in that moment? What do you do at those moments when the world is, is caving in on you, when life is crushing you? What would you do if it's never happened to you? How would you prepare yourself for perhaps that happening anyway? Here's Jesus. The prophet Isaiah called Jesus the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. It was expected that he would feel this sorrow and yet the intensity of these emotions overwhelmed him. He knows that the crowd who welcomed him just a few days earlier are going to turn on him very very quickly and call for him to be killed. He knows that someone is going to betray him. He knows that one of his closest friends is going to deny him at least three times. He knows that the shadow of the cross has followed him every day of his life, yet still he walks towards it. We can only begin to imagine those depth, the depth of feeling that Jesus would have had in those moments. The uh, writer Tim Keller, he, he writes this in his book called King's Cross. He says, suffering happens to us when there's a gap between the desires of our heart and the circumstances of our life. The place of suffering happens when there's a gap between the desires of our heart, what we long for above everything else, and the circumstances that we're facing at that particular time. And he goes on to say, the bigger the gap, the greater the suffering. He goes on to ask this question, what do you do when the gap gets too wide? What do you do when the desires of your heart and the circumstances of your life are so far apart that you can never ever feel that they could be reconciled or come back together? What do you do when that suffering overwhelms to the point of death? when you're forced face down to the ground because you've got nowhere else to go and no one else to turn to, what do you do when the gap gets that wide? Well, I guess given that definition, there are two things we can do. 
We can try and change the circumstances that we face and draw them a little bit closer. Or we can face up to the desires of our life and bring them closer towards the circumstances. Perhaps some of us, those circumstances have been caused by our own decision-making, our own wrong choices. And perhaps for some of us, just getting off that wrong path is all it will take for those circumstances to change. Or we maybe have to confront that maybe some of our desires may be completely selfish or self-serving. And maybe we begin to change those desires and the suffering begins to diminish. So what can we learn from Jesus in this moment in the depths of his suffering? What can we learn about his desires and the circumstances he's facing and the suffering that is coming in between? How does he deal with that gap? Which actually probably, judging by the text, is as wide as it could possibly be. What could we learn? Well, Jesus is asking the Father to help change his circumstances. But we can see that he's also ready to obey within the circumstances that he's facing. Perhaps relinquishing control over the circumstances and submitting his own desires to the will of the Father as the gap begins to close. As the suffering is still real and still there, but somehow he begins to find the place where he can move forward in the midst of that depth of suffering. Because don't forget, this moment is costing Jesus everything. But of course, also remember that for Jesus, the way of love is the way that he chose to go. The battle between the immediate that he's feeling and the ultimate that he sees beyond the cross. The choice between sparing himself in this moment or sparing us by continuing to be obedient to death on the cross. By saying to the Father, your will, not mine, enables him to come through that place of suffering to that place of obedience, to walk the toughest way of all, the hardest, hardest road. Now, I don't think this is stoicism. I don't think it's fatalism. I don't think it's giving up or giving in. I think it's simply a level of trust that Jesus has learned. What was it he said on the cross? Into your hands I commit my spirit. That's the kind of faith that faces the challenges And begins to challenge us as well. Is that the sort of faith that we are expected, we're led towards in the midst of whatever is happening today? This is the love that we've been looking for all our lives, isn't it? This is the kind of love that endures. This is the love that Paul says is the greatest of all and will remain beyond everything else. This is the kind of love of Jesus that we see in the garden and we experience through the cross. Now we're in our series during Lent, we've called Praying with Jesus. And so today I want to ask this question, how can we pray with Jesus in the pain and the suffering that we will face? 
in the challenges that we face? How can we pray with Jesus? What can we learn about Jesus in the garden that might help us to deal with the circumstances and the desires where we begin to close this gap and understand that he is still with us and for us? Because when I read the Bible, it, it tells me that we will have suffering. Have, have you read those verses in the Bible? Isaiah 43, when you go through the fire, when you go through the deep water. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble. So we're to expect it, even if we don't like it. Even if we're surprised when it comes, we've, we've been warned it is coming. So what do you do before it comes? Well, like any good Boy Scout, you be prepared. I was a cub for about three weeks, and I thought it was so dull and boring, I stopped. But I'm sure some of you have done it all the way through, haven't you? But I couldn't hack it, I'm afraid. But anyway, be prepared, yeah? So I want us to find out today, how can we prepare for these moments? The Bible has many images of what, following, uh, uh, what a Jesus follower looks like, and you'll know some of these, I'm sure. The Bible talks about us being like an athlete. Turn to the person next to you and say, boy, you look like an athlete today. Oh, look at you. You're in prime physical condition. You look just like an athlete today. Well, thankfully... It's a metaphor, isn't it? You know, it's for something that's going on in, inside us. And, and Paul writes, doesn't he, in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. If you want to be an athlete, you've got to train for it. Because if you don't, when it comes to the race, you won't be able to even get off the starting line. So Jesus' followers, Paul's saying, prepare Get into training now for, for the race, for when things happen, be prepared. There's an image of a soldier in the Bible as well. A soldier goes into battle with the full armor on. But Paul doesn't say just wait until the battle to put it on. He says put it on every day. Get used to it. Get used to putting on this armor because, you know, when the evil times come, when the enemy is flinging his burning arrows at you, then you're going to be ready for it. So put the armor on every day. It will help you move through life. If you don't know how to put it on before the battle, it will be too late. The Bible gives us an image of a gardener. Some of you are gardeners. What do you do? You prepare the soil to get a better crop from it. So you prepare it, you see. Or, the Bible doesn't say this, but I was thinking about a passenger. You know, if you're on an aeroplane or you're going on a cruise ship, when do you listen to the safety instructions? When you listen to them when the, when the, when the plane's on the runway and the ship's in the dock. Because that's the time to get to know what the instructions are. You know, when the pilot says, I'm sorry, we're, we're crashing... It's a bit late. Sorry, if you're about to go on a flight, I'm really sorry about that. But anyway, I'm sure you'll be fine. It's too late to think, what do I do now? What do I do now? No, you prepare on the ground for when that moment comes. And those of you, you know, many of you every day are preparing. You're preparing a presentation for your boss or you're preparing a lesson for year nines or you're, you're preparing for, to do an operation or, or you're preparing to do some DIY. Or, I mean, I, I know this, this is hard to believe, but, you know, even when you preach a sermon, you have to prepare. We prepare 
for the trouble, for the suffering that is to come. Because it will come. And maybe in your life you've had times when you've suffered and you weren't prepared. And it did overwhelm you. And maybe you're still recovering from it. So how did Jesus prepare? Well, here's, here's some things I think that will help us from this, this text this morning. Firstly, he knew the Father. Do you see the start of his prayer each time? What did he say? My Father. He knew the Father. And knowing the Father is not just about having some knowledge in your head. It's about experiencing it in your heart. What did he say? There's this dependency that he has on the Father because he knows he can trust the Father in this moment. Everything is possible for you. See, those are words of dependency, aren't they? Father, everything is possible for you. But if it's not possible, I'm still going to depend on you. See, too often we want to grab the controls. We want to grab the steering wheel, don't you? I remember having my first lesson in, in a, a car with my dad. He took me out uh, when I was 17, and it was a huge tank of a car. It was so heavy, I could hardly move the steering wheel. It was days before power steering. Do you remember those days before power steering? Oh, my goodness, your muscles were, like, huge, weren't they? And it, we had this, I think it was an Austin, oh, I can't remember what it was now, a really big car, and he took me, took me around the block. He thought that would be safe, but unfortunately, one turn around the block was um was a what's an angle when it, it's it goes like like that so so i'm coming down here and i've got a turn uh, sharper than 90 degrees and uh so i started turning and my dad didn't trust me to turn and he grabbed the steering wheel and we ended up on the pavement because he grabbed the steering wheel you see he wanted to be in control and but i i was okay i was okay but it was a disaster it happens in the bible time and time again People wanting to grab control, wanting to divert the, the, the will of God. It happened right at Eden, didn't it? When a snake got Adam and Eve to take control. It happened to Abraham, when for Abraham it was sex that, uh, that caused him to lose sight of, of God's will. For Jacob, it was, it was just a bowl of soup. For Judas, it was 30 pieces of silver. For Peter, it was a sword, and he cut the ear off one of the guards. See, we want to grab control all the time, yet Jesus is saying, everything is possible for you, but if it's not possible, I'm still going to depend on you, because I know you, my Father. And so before the suffering comes, get to know the Father. Abba, Papa, Dad. When you call him that, then you're definitely going to be trusting him. You may remember the story in Daniel chapter 3 where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do you remember? A decree was, cut, was put out by King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, tricked really uh, to say anybody who doesn't bow down to Nebuchadnezzar is going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't bow down, did they? And so the officials came to, to grasp on them to King Nebuchadnezzar and he had to throw them into the fiery furnace. But what happened in the fiery furnace was that as Nebuchadnezzar looked in, he didn't see three people in there, he saw four. He saw one like the son of the gods in there, already in there. Because those three young men had got into a habit of praying to the God who, who they knew they could trust and depend on. And so when the fire came, he was already there, walking with them in that furnace. 
And Jesus teaches us to pray, doesn't he? We said the words earlier, our Father. He gives us the clue as to where this all starts, to depend on him, so that when we face the times of suffering and pain, we know the Father. Look at the prayers Jesus prayed. Verse 39, my Father. Verse 42, my Father. The third time he said the same thing, my Father. If you want to prepare yourself for those times of suffering, then get to know the Father. That's what Jesus did, and that's what saw, saw him through. You know, you may believe in God in your head. You might be very familiar with him from, from years and years and years. But you need to trust him in your heart. No matter what, God is still good. You can know him, you can lean on him, you can depend on him. Of course, most people drift, don't they? But the follower of Jesus can, no matter the circumstances, keep true by getting to know the Father. Be prepared. I think the second thing Jesus did was he, he remembered the promises. He remembered the promises of the Father as well. Jesus moves his prayer to expressing what he wants to happen. Do you see that? He's, he, is, he says what he wants to happen. There's a desire in him. Take this cup from me. That's the desire. Remember the, the circumstance and the desire? Jesus is saying, no, this is, this is what I desire. Take this cup from me. Wouldn't that be your desire when you're suffering? I don't want to go through this. Of course I don't want to go through it. It's the last thing I want to go through. Absolutely, it might be the last thing you go through. I don't know, but, but it is. We don't want to do it. And Jesus says, take this cup from me. There's a desire. But then he remembers what the promises are of the Father. In Matthew, chapter, in Matthew chapter 26, a bit earlier on in this reading, what was it that Jesus had just done with his disciples? What had he just done prior to going into the Garden of Gethsemane? he just celebrated the Passover, hadn't he? Just before he'd celebrated Passover, the, 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 the ceremony to remember the promises of God, releasing the people of Israel from slavery, from captivity, freedom, God's faithfulness to his people. He'd just done that. But do you remember what he did as part of that ceremony, as he broke the bread? He said to them, this is my body. He made it public to them. As he took the cup, he said to them, this is my blood. And as he prays in that garden, he must have just thought, I remember the promises of God. My body broken, my blood poured out. I see before me the people who will be saved as a result of what I'm just about to go through. Lord, take this cup from me. But he saw the picture of his disciples around that table, knowing that they would be set free. Take this cup from me. You know, the, the image of this cup in the Bible is one of of your allotment of pain, your, the, the burden you bear, the, the hand you've been dealt, if you like, the, the portion God gives to you, his cup, is your life. Take this cup from me, because this is only leading one way. But this is not fatalistic resignation from Jesus. It's absolute trust in the middle of the circumstances he's, he's facing. He remembers the promises, the body broken, the blood poured out for you. For you. And that enables him to move on. And if we're in that place of suffering and we remember the promises God has made to us, 
maybe that is enough to close this gap, to say, take it away, but, but your will. The third thing I think, which is so simple, is he had a habit of prayer. Because prayer teaches us the posture of humility. Prayer is saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I'm handing it over to you. Your will be done. Jesus tells us that he knows. But he also tells us that there is obedience and it matters. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Each time, he's saying the same things. God, I'm going to trust you. No bargaining, no compromise. He shows obedience every step of the way. In James chapter 1, James writes this in chapter 1 verse 2. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Look at the challenge and choose to keep going because it shapes you into the character of Jesus. It gives God an opportunity to change you and shape you and under pressure he will produce something strong. I don't know if you've heard of the, uh, the, the Japanese um, art of repairing broken pottery, have you? I, I'm, sorry, I'm glad Manam is not here today to correct me, but it's kintsugi or something like that. Have you heard of that? And the Japanese, they take broken pottery and they mend it. I wish they'd come to my house. We've got loads of broken pottery, which I've broken. But, but they mend it not just with glue. They mend it with gold. And it treats the breakage and repair as not something to disguise, but as part of the history of the object. And so this object that is broken becomes even more beautiful. And the scars are shown. They're, they're, they're highlighted. In fact, you know, they, are, they are brighter than the rest of the broken pottery that is mended. It makes the object more beautiful. It tells a bigger story of what has happened to that piece. You see the suffering in that moment, but you also see the beauty of the resurrection as well. And I think this is part of what Jesus experienced in, those, in this moment. That resurrection is on the other side of obedience. Change from glory into glory. I don't know whether you noticed in the, in the prayer Jesus prayed, the subtle changes that he made. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. The prayer changes. The place of obedience becomes central. The gap between desire and circumstance have closed. And he completely trusts the Father in the midst of the pain and the uncertainty. I choose to go your way. And that moves him to the place of complete obedience. John 6:38 says, "For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me." 
Philippians 2.8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Hebrews 5 verse 6, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he, he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Come, let us go, Jesus says. At the end of these prayers, he says simply to all those who have fallen asleep, he says, come, let us go. The time has come. I'm going to face it. Your will be done. I wonder if that's a prayer that you can be prepared to pray. It is love that got him onto his feet from the ground that day. His love for you. His love for me. His love for the world got him off his face that day to say, come, let us go and move step by step towards the cross to drink the cup that the Father had given him. Dependent on the Father because he knew him. His desires in line with the Father's will because he remembered the promises. His whole posture one of humility because he had the habit of constantly coming into the Father's presence through prayer. So are you ready? Are you ready to release any pain that you carry now or that you carry from the past? Are you ready to close the gap between the circumstances you face and the desires in your heart right now? Get to know the Father. Remember his promises. Develop a habit of prayer. And then I think we'll be ready to face the challenges of what is to come. To release the pain. To release the frustration. To release the confusion and the fear and the anger. So that we can trust him. Be prepared. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. But he went straight on to say, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. May you know that promise and that certainty that comes from him today. And may you find yourself able to pray with Jesus, prepared, knowing that there's victory on the other side.